Welcome back to Squared Sports Podcast. I'm the host of this podcast, and Frank, we're now in episode 159. Yes, we're 159 episodes through, and I got an action-packed episode planned for you. It's almost March. We're through the second half of the NBA season. Got conference tournaments coming up. Got NFL offseason combine this week. Spring training underway in the MLB. So much more. Stay tuned for an action-packed episode 159. Let's hop into it. Let's start off episode 159, how we always do with our headlines in the NBA. First thing I want to talk about in the NBA right here. Klay Thompson has been coming off the bench for the past few weeks. It's actually been working out really, really well. And now Chris Paul is going to be coming off the bench. When you can have two bench guys in that second rotation of Chris Paul and Klay Thompson, it's going to be deadly coming after the first wave of Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins. It's going to be exciting to see that Warriors team. This team, a lot of people forget, won the championship in 2022. Less than two seasons ago. So really exciting to see what the Warriors are going to do the rest of this season. Chris Paul back, Clay Thompson on the bench. It's going to be a really exciting second wave. That's going to hurt a lot of teams in the playoffs. Excited to see that right there. Clay Thompson, Chris Paul. My only question is, when you get into those late game situations, are you going to want to play Brandon Podziemski or are you going to want to play Clay Thompson? Are you going to want to play maybe someone else in that lineup or are you going to want to play Chris Paul? Because if you can have Chris Paul, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson all in the court at the same time, final minute of a playoff game, that's leadership. That's what works out for you right there. But also, that's not what you've done all season long. So that's my question right there about these guys coming off the bench. Boston Celtics, not a lot of people talking about them, but they're having a really amazing season. For the reason for me, they're not getting as much recognition as they deserve. is because we've seen this year in, year out from Boston, and again, and again, and again, they disappoint us. No championship at 22. No championship at 23. We're in 24 now. It's time to finally win something. Win a real NBA championship. This is the year, in my opinion. Joe Missoula has proven to be a great coach. What a great job he's done out in Boston. Now it's time to win an actual championship. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can prove that they can play together in the regular season. Now it's time to prove that you can win a championship together because this is a duo that nobody wants to split up. But there's always talks. We have to split up Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. There's always talks about it. But it shouldn't happen. Really shouldn't happen. I think they have to win a championship, though. Only 12 losses right now. 45-12. and 12. It's a great record. They're on a great pace. Will they get to 70 wins? They have to go undefeated for the rest of the season to get to 70 wins. Not happening. But just a little thought right there. Leave your thoughts on that in the comments. Last thing in the NBA right here. Los Angeles Lakers. Lakers basketball is a joke to watch as of right now. But we see this every year. They're going to get into the plan. They're going to win the plan. They're probably going to face off against one of the best teams in the Western Conference, Oklahoma City Thunder, Minnesota Timberwolves, LeBron versus the Timberwolves, an inexperienced Timberwolves team in the playoffs. That's the series LeBron's going to win. Same thing that happened last year with the Grizzlies. So we're just going to go through the same cycle year in, year out with the Lakers, but they don't show consistent pace every single night. And that's what bothers me so much about this team is that they're not consistent in any way, shape, or form out for the news in the NBA. NFL, we got the offseason ramping up right now. What's going to happen with Justin Fields? We're going to talk about that later this episode. But this week in the NFL, we got the first wave of NFL draft process, the NFL draft combine, where your name is either going to be made legendary or you're going to get made fun of forever. Now, we've seen some great performances of the combine before. Let's look at John Ross. Ran a 4-2, 40-yard dash, got offered an island to sign with Adidas, actually didn't do it. But John Ross broke the NFL 40-yard dash record, and people were thinking he was going to be the next amazing Bengals receiver, going to be the next Ocho Senko, going to be the next elite NFL wide receiver. So we can get a little bit blindsided by that in the NFL draft. 
And also there's a guy like Orlando Brown Jr. who couldn't even do 10 bench presses at the NFL Combine. And everybody's saying, this guy's going to be a horrible pick. Whoever takes him, his status fell all the way to day three. Now Orlando Brown's a pro bowler. So don't look too deep into the Combine, but it can be fun. Caleb Williams won't be throwing this week. J.J. McCarthy will be throwing this week. Drake May not throwing this week, which I don't understand. Drake May is a guy who has elite arm talent. I get why Caleb Williams isn't throwing. There's no need. But for Drake May, there's still an argument where he can be put above Caleb Williams, and there's still an argument where he can be put behind guys like Jaden Daniels and Jason McCarthy. So I don't get why he's not throwing. Doesn't make sense for me right there, but it's about for the news in the NFL. MLB, spring training underway. Love to see it. Spring training, such a great time for baseball. Leave your thoughts in the comments about spring training. You ever been to spring training? Leave your answer on that. What's the experience like? But outside of spring training, news in the MLB, Cody Bellinger finally has landed home. He'll be back again in Chicago. It's a three-year deal worth $80 million, but really, he's not going to stay for all three years. It's an opt-out after the first two years, which he's probably going to opt-out after this year. If he's a similar season to this year, he's going to opt-out, and he's going to get that $200 million contract. I think Blake Snell, also a Scott Boris client, should do the same exact thing. Take that three-year $80 million contract to where you have the player option. If you have another great season like you did this year, then you can maybe get that $200 million contract. But if you don't, at least you have that backup plan of staying those three years with that team. It's about for the news and MLB. Great stuff in sports going on this week. It's about for the headlines. Now, take of the week. This week's take of the week. It's going to be a little bit of a hot take, but I want to hear your thoughts on this. And I put this on the score of sports Twitter, but I want to hear what you have to say about it. And I'm going to explain it right here. College basketball conference tournaments the most exciting thing in sports really exciting to watch college basketball conference tournaments now i love march madness march madness is amazing but college basketball conference tournaments give me a little different sense of vibe for me i like it because it's kind of fun i get to watch it in school you never really get to watch games in school kind of a fun aspect to it right there but also there's always major upsets when it comes to college basketball conference tournaments that shake up the whole entire 68 field for march madness and it's great to see Let's look at 2017 Michigan basketball. They're coming into that tournament where they have to win one big game. They have to knock off maybe number one Purdue to get into the Edsel Bay tournament because they're probably not going to get into the tournament if they don't win in many games in the Big Ten Conference tournament. Day before the tournament, their plane crashes. Nothing majorly bad happens to any of the players. That was good right there. I remember Derek Walton Jr., the star of that team, actually had to get stitches. A little bit interesting right there. But all their luggage was part of the investigation, so they had to play in practice uniforms their first game against Illinois. They won that game. Then the next day, they have to go up against top five team in the country. Purdue actually had their uniforms for that game. Underdogs lose that game. Your season's over. You're not making that NCAA tournament. Michigan beats them. I remember that game vividly. Great game. Michigan wins that game. Now they play for the third straight day. Okay, nobody wins three straight days in a row. Nobody ever plays three straight days in a row, especially at this high level of basketball. They win that game. Then they go into the Big Ten Championship game. Win that game. Super exciting. Ran it back the next year, Michigan basketball. I went to that one in Madison Square Garden at New York. Went to the first game against Iowa, win. Second game against Nebraska, win. Michigan State, third game. Exciting game that was, win. And then Purdue, the next day, win. Four straight days of amazing basketball. We see for all these teams, and it's so exciting to watch, to see the upsets. I remember Florida versus LSU a few years ago. Really exciting game. SEC tournament. There's so many great things about conference tournaments, especially the Big Ten tournament, I'll call it, because Big Ten tournament, that tournament ends about an hour before Selection Sunday. So let's look at 2019. Big Ten tournament, Michigan, Michigan State. Michigan wins that game. They're a one seed. Michigan State wins that game. They're a two seed. Comes down to the last play of the game. Jordan Poole played like how he does now. Made a horrible play. They lose that game, and then Michigan falls their seed to number two. I love the Big Ten tournament. I love the conference tournaments. 
I'm all for March Madness, but conference tournaments are where it's at. I get that if you're a conference champion, I'll say the real conference champion, is the team that wins the regular season. But conference tournaments, anything can happen. I mean, anything. We got robbed of that in 2020. Some of the tournaments have started. Some of the tournaments actually ended at that point when all the tournaments got shut down. I think BYU, or maybe it was Utah State, won the Mountain West, but then they didn't even get to go because the tournament got canceled. And then Michigan and the Rutgers were warming up while the whole entire Big Ten tournament got canceled. A little crazy stuff right there. Conference tournaments, always drama, always some exciting stuff. It's about for my Take of the Week. Now, top five. This week's top five is in honor of the NFL Combine. I'm going to give you my top five NFL draft prospects to watch out for at the Combine. Now, Caleb Williams won't test the Combine, and a few other guys in this list won't test the Combine. Maybe look out for their interviews. Maybe look out for something else. They're all going to be in Indianapolis. Combine is a great event leading up to the draft. I love the NFL draft. My favorite, one of my favorite events of the year, up there with March Madness. Here are the top five NFL draft prospects. The Squared Sports Big Board, five through one. Let's hop into it. Number five, call me a homer. I'm always right on this guy, J.J. McCarthy, at number five. And I've been right on J.J. McCarthy every step of the way. I said he would be better than Caleb Williams in college football this year. I said he'd be better than Drake May. He's been better than both in college football. He won the national championship. He didn't win the Heisman because Michigan didn't need him to. Michigan didn't need to throw the ball. The whole argument with J.J. McCarthy is that he doesn't throw the ball enough to be a good quarterback. He doesn't throw the ball enough. Okay, I read a stat that said J.J. McCarthy threw more passes in the first half combined for the whole season. It was something in the 300s. More than Caleb Williams, more than Drake May, and more than Jane Daniels, and more than Bo Nix. It's just that Michigan would get such big leads, they didn't need him to throw in the second half. J.J. McCarthy is going to make that big play for you right there. He's going to make that insanely accurate throw, insanely powerful throw. First career touchdown for J.J. McCarthy is still one of the best throws I've ever seen in a football game. There's other throws that J.J. McCarthy has made that are just amazing, and they look at his legs, He's going to be an elite NFL quarterback. I have no doubt about that in my mind. He's number five on my list. Number four, a guy I really love to watch in college football, Dallas Turner. Now, he's a reckless guy. He could be reckless in the field. I thought Dallas Turner, his freshman season, might have been his best year at Alabama. I think he could be better than Will Anderson Jr. Scouting him as a prospect, I feel he's better than Will Anderson Jr. Watching them both at Alabama, I thought a quarterback, as if I was a quarterback, I'd be more scared of number 15 than number 31, 15 being Turner, 31 being Will Anderson. Just my take right there. A little bit of underwhelming junior year. Alabama obviously made the semifinal. And then sophomore year, so much turmoil with that team, only making it to the Sugar Bowl, New York Six Bowl game going 10-2 that year. Not so great. But I think Dallas Turner as a prospect really translates well to the NFL. Four, Dallas Turner. Number three. Now, I'm going to say this right here. Three through one, I think are all surefire Hall of Famers. But if there's one guy I have to bet my life savings on to be a Hall of Famer in this draft class, it's Brock Bowers, number three. The best tight end prospect of all time. The best. There's no debate about it. He's the best tight end prospect of all time. I didn't think that about Kyle Pitts. I said, Kyle Pitts, number four, they need a quarterback. They still need a quarterback. Kyle Pitts can still be a Hall of Fame tight end. He just doesn't have a quarterback to throw him the ball. Maybe they'll figure that out in Atlanta. But if Brock Bowers can go to a team like the Chargers, number five, he's going to have Justin Herbert. He's going to have a good offensive line. He's going to have whatever he needs. It's going to be a great team. Great head coach. Brock Bowers, though, number three prospect in this draft. He's a surefire guy. You could have told me after his freshman year, I say he'd be a surefire Hall of Famer. Three, Brock Bowers. Two, his dad's a Hall of Famer. He's going to be one, too. Marvin Harrison Jr. Elite wide receiver prospect. People like to say the gap between Malik Neighbors and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Rumbo Dunes isn't that big, but it really is. Marvin Harrison Jr. was playing with Kyle McCord as quarterback this year and still played amazing. Two, 
Marvin Harrison Jr. And number one, the best player in this year's NFL draft, the best quarterback prospect in my time doing this show, Squared Sports, better than Trevor Lawrence, better than Zach Wilson, better than maybe a Kenny Pickett, maybe better than any other guy I've ever watched in the time I've done this show. Number one, Caleb Williams, best player in this draft class. It's about for top five. Now, did you know, this week's day knows, did you know Babe Ruth had as many career shutouts as also Boston Red Sox pitcher Pedro Martinez, who's in the Hall of Fame for a pitcher career. Babe Ruth, everyone knows him as the hitter, has as many career shutouts, complete game shutouts, as Pedro Martinez. Didn't know that? Leave that in the comments. It's back for Did You Knows. Now, let's go with the big, heavy-hidden topic that's going on right now. Let's switch it over to what lane when I take court storming edition. So if you watch college basketball, you would have seen that Wake Forest great upset win over Duke. Typically, after a big upset win over a big school like Duke, the fans are going to rush the court. Exactly what happened. Except Duke star Cal Filipowski got mixed up in the whole entire ruckus of everything going on and sprained his knee. Not a bad injury, but it makes you think what could have been a really bad injury and what could have happened to anybody on that Duke team, right? By on the Wake Forest team, anybody on the court that was supposed to be on the court could have been caused by somebody that wasn't supposed to be on the court, the court stormers. I'm all for field storming college football because it makes for a scenic image. It's amazing to see Texas A&M beat Alabama. You see 100,000 fans on there. Amazing to see Michigan beat Ohio State, and it's all maze in the field. Tennessee, Alabama, that's one of the greatest photos in world history when they beat Alabama. That's a great photo right there. But in college basketball, when you're looking at a basketball court, it's a little bit different. It's harder to get on the court, I'd say. Probably a little more dangerous because... Small court, only 94 feet. If you're trying to put 10,000 people on 94 feet of court, it's going to be pretty bad right there. I'm not the biggest fan of court storming, but I don't know how you can stop court storming, in my opinion. Maybe you say, okay, we just plan for the game. If we lose this game, they're going to try to take down the basketballs. They're going to try to take down everything. They're going to try to storm the court. Let's try to figure it out a way to where if we lose that, we immediately get off the court. That's what Seth Greenberg said when I was at Virginia Tech. That was the plan. Now for Duke, Maybe they should have that plan in place. But also, it's the second the game ends, the fans are already in the court. So I don't know how to control court storming. I'm all for field storming in college football. gets amazing. But for court storming in college basketball, not the biggest fan of it. That's the lane I would take. But try to figure out a way. May make a bigger punishment. I know in college football, the SEC, their punishment is, you storm the field, your fans storm the field, you lose a home game the next year. That's a very big punishment, in my opinion. Maybe for college basketball, it could be something worse. Those are my thoughts on what lane would I take. Court storming edition. Leave your thoughts in the comments. Now, let's go around the bases in the MLB, everybody. If you don't know what around the bases is, basically our MLB segment of the week. Let's talk about it. Let's go over some news in the MLB. First thing, you know me. I'm a massive, diehard New York Mets fan. What comes to being a New York Mets fan is injuries and disappointment Every single year. So for the New York Mets, they have a great offensive lineup. You're going to have Francisco Alvarez, who's a rising star in this game. You have Pete Alonso, who can hit 50 home runs a season. You have Francisco Lindor, the best shortstop in baseball. You've got Jeff McNeil, who's one year removed from being the batting champ. You've got a great outfield. And you've got a horrible pitching rotation mixed in there, which was going to be led by Kodai Senga, but now it's going to be led by who? Shamanaya? Who's going to lead this Mets rotation? Luis Severino? My favorite thing to say about Luis Severino is broken, but could be fun to fix. 
Sean Manaya, broken, but could be fun to fix. Adrian Hauser, didn't know who that guy was until the Mets signed him. So for the Mets, this pitching rotation is going to be terrible. This Kodai Senga injury is going to be out to at least late April, but knowing the Mets, that's going to be late April of next year, not this year. It's all disappointment for New York Mets. That's about for my Mets rant, though. What the Mets should do, in my opinion, is go for a guy like Trevor Bauer. What's the downside? Trevor Bauer is clear now from everything. Blake Snell, out there, comes with less drama than Trevor Bauer, but what's the risk? Trevor Bauer is still an elite pitcher in baseball and did great in the Japanese League MPB. Blake Snell just had a signing season, and he's a lefty. One-year rental for Blake Snell? What's the downside of that? Paying one year $20 million or the three years $80 million with the opt-out after every year? I don't see a downside to that, in my opinion. Kodai Senga, though, out for a while from New York Mets. Tough to see right there. A guy who's actually returning after Tommy John surgery, Casey Mize, the 2018 number one overall pick. Really had a tough time getting his career started. Rough 2020 season, rough 2021 season. Tommy John 2022, out all of 2023. Going to make his return to baseball. I remember Casey Miles in college was a great pitcher. Also in that draft class was Kyler Murray, picking number nine to Oakland Athletics. little fun thing right there. But Casey Mize, back with the Detroit Tigers. Number one pick, let's see how he can do. Shoei Otani made his Dodgers debut today. And I want to say this about Otani right now. He's not going to be pitching this season. He's going to be strictly hitting. Otani's always been a better hitter than a pitcher, but he's always been a great pitcher. Now that he's solely focused on hitting this whole entire season, he can have one of the greatest offensive seasons of all time. Because instead of being in the cages one day, in the bullpen the next, having to take days off because he's sore from pitching, now he can go every day, all day, hitting a baseball. It's going to be really exciting to watch. Shoei Otani, first day, home run in the NL. Really excited to see Shoei Otani in this division, in this conference, in this league. Shohei Otani dominating as their designated hitter. Bound for Shohei Otani news. Dodgers going to be elite this season. Byron Buxton, one of the best guys to watch in baseball. Fastest man in baseball out all of last season after having a really rough injury in August 2022. Is back now with the Minnesota Twins. Going to be really exciting to watch him with Carlos Correa. Excited to see that. Carlos Correa, the headliner of last year's offseason. Everything that went on from the Giants to the Mets to the Twins. Now Byron Buxton may pairing up with him again. It's going to be exciting to watch. Byron Buxton back in the Twin City. Cody Bellinger, talked about him earlier, landed back with the Chicago Cubs. Bellinger, a guy who has won MVP in his career, has won a rookie of the year in his career, has come second for MVP in his career, so he has an MVP award, and he's an MVP runner-up award, Christian Yelich. Crazy the downfall that Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger have both had in their careers. But nonetheless, Cody Bellinger back with the Cubs. Great season last year. Let's see him do it again. But to close out this around the bases, and I'm going to bring up something... A little bit interesting, a guy who's kind of fallen off the face of the earth, the face of the MLB, but still a good player, Chris Bryant. Let's call it the Chris Bryant rule right here. Because Chris Bryant, I'll say he got messed up by a lockout. Chris Bryant had a great few years in Chicago and won MVP in 2016. Great, good for him. Then he goes over to San Francisco in the 2021 season. Great, good for him. 2022 season comes around and the lockout happens. You can't sell Chicago, can't sell San Francisco, can't sell any other team because of this horrible MLB lockout. Can't even sign until after spring training. And then one team he goes to is Colorado Rockies. I think for about nine years, $200 million. Good for Chris Bryant, but maybe he's just going for the money. And that's what's tough to see right here with some of these guys in MLB. For Blake Snell, I don't think Blake Snell wants that. I think there is a team out there that would realistically give Blake Snell that contract. But he doesn't want to go there. Chris Bryant, this is what can happen. This is the downside to a player taking the money instead of taking a good team. Also, maybe for Blake Snell, maybe he just would go to any team 
for a big contract instead of maybe going to a team like the Mets for three years, like the Cubs for three years, like the Yankees for three years. Trust me, the Chris Bryant rule can happen to you, but also you can take the Cody Bellinger path, have a great season in a new team, be a rental, be whatever it might be, have a great season like you did this year, Blake Snell, and you'll get that $200 million contract. It's about for Around the Bases this week. Leave your thoughts in the comments. Be back here next week on Around the Bases. Now, college basketball madness. Still in February madness. Got one more day. So we got March madness, everybody. But still, college basketball madness. Really excited for everything that's going on next month in college basketball. The best time of year in sports, March Madness. There's still a lot of things we got to figure out because college basketball is a mess this year. Now, I've seen it before where we don't have a clear-cut number one team, but there's always a clear-cut top five, clear-cut top ten. <laughs> Not this year. I guarantee you this right here. Every single team in the top ten on any given game will lose to an unranked team. I've seen it from Arizona where they can grab a great win and then they'll end up losing to Washington State. I can see it from Duke where they can beat Miami, a good team, and then they lose to Wake Forest. I see it from UConn who had the biggest top five win in college basketball history, conference game, against Marquette. They beat him by 30 points and then they get flatlined by Creighton the next game. Creighton gets flatlined the next game by St. John's. Makes no sense to me right there. Houston can get throttled by Kansas and now be number one in the country. Kansas can absolutely throttle Houston, number one team in the country, then get smacked by Texas Tech and then smack Texas. Doesn't make sense to me. College basketball's a mess. Purdue, Zach Eady, best player in the country. Okay, they're the consensus number one team. Nope. They lose to Ohio State, second worst team in the Big Ten. Then they play the worst team in the Big Ten, Michigan, and they barely beat them. College basketball's a mess. It's a train wreck. I don't get it. We're going to make our conference tournament predictions next week, but these are the teams to watch out for in college basketball. Kentucky, great team, beat Alabama. 116 points in that game, but then at least win by two tonight against Mississippi State. Doesn't make sense to me. Alabama is going to win SEC off conference, which makes absolutely no sense to me because I watched them and they have the worst defense known to mankind. Nate Oates figured that out. UConn, really good team to watch out for March Madness. But again, inconsistent. Kansas, inconsistent. Purdue, inconsistent. Houston, inconsistent. And Duke, inconsistent. One team right now, the only team right now, that I think college basketball will run the table. If you ask me right now who's running the table, I'd say North Carolina. North Carolina, too good. Armando Baycott, really great player. RJ Davis had 42 points in college basketball game the other night, 35 minutes. They're elite. But also, they could trip up too. They beat Duke, and then they lose their next two games. Doesn't make sense to me. College basketball, I've never seen something like this. It's nice, but also when you're filling out your bracket, I don't understand how it's going to work out. Houston has a great defense. They have good offense, but they can flatline at times. I would say Houston right now could be the most complete team, but also... We don't know how much they're going to do because they lose those big games like Kansas. College basketball madness going on, everybody, right now. Get ready for March. Best month of the year, college basketball. Still more to come. Now, the best for last question day. This week's question day is, should the franchise tag be eliminated in the NFL? Franchise tag, NFL, the only league with one where you can franchise tag a player for one year or every year it can be, but it's a one-year contract. And they have to stay with your team. They can't explore free agency. And you can do it to the player every single year of their career until they maybe want a massive extension, which they always want. But if you can't get them a massive extension and you don't want them going to free agency, you franchise tag them. Leave your thoughts on the franchise tag in the comments. But should the franchise tag be a thing? I married Kirk Cousins, once had a massive contract for so many years in Washington, got franchise tagged back-to-back -back years until he eventually ended up in Minnesota. 
Saquon Barkley got franchise tagged this year. Josh Jacobs got franchise tagged this year. Now this offseason, or last year, I should say. Now this offseason, not getting franchise tagged. Those guys are on the market. Austin Eckler's on the market. Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, and Austin Eckler all on the market. Great running backs. It's going to be a really exciting free agency run. LeJerry Sneed, one of the best corners in the game, probably going to get franchise tagged, and that's tough right there. So that answers the question. Should the franchise tag be a thing in the NFL? I say no. Leave your thoughts on that in the comments. It's Bad Question Day this week. It's Bad for Squared Sports Lane Frank, episode 189. Thank you for tuning in. Follow Squared Sports on Instagram, Outscored Sports. Follow Squared Sports on X, Outscored Sport. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for the best sports content in the game. Be back here next week, episode 160. Stay tuned. It's going to be March, everybody. Get ready for that.